0: Amen. Thank you so much, Miss Betty. Thank you so much. There's, uh, I think it's Psalm 63, talks about how, um, God, we long to see your power and glory as we did have in the sanctuary. And there's certain times when you're in church service and we sing together as a body and we hear special music, and uh, as it all comes together, there is this... Uh, the special feeling. I know we're not all about feelings, but there's a special feeling when you hear and you start thinking about the truths of God's word and we come corporately together. And as we walk through it, I guess I did not pick the songs or put them to what I was going to do. So the Lord works all these things out. But we're going to be in Psalm 46, uh, in Psalms 46 this morning. But I just, I guess, want to take some time to look at how do we feel this way Every day, like when we start looking and like the song this morning, we've talked a lot about mercies and God's grace rolling down. And when we start thinking about that on a daily basis, it is amazing to come to church and to sing it together. But when we're sometimes when we're by ourselves, we don't feel that same presence that we do when we're in the sanctuary, as Psalm 63 would say. And so as we walk through Psalm 46 uh, this morning, I want us to look at what it looks like to have that kind of uh, trust that kind of feeling every single day. When we come to Psalm 46, I'm going to be honest with you straight up. Psalm 46 is where I want to be. Like, There's nothing harder than preaching a passage where it's like I'm not here yet, and I'm trying to attain to it, and I'm not even really close. Like I'm at the bottom of the hill, and I keep rolling and coming right back down. So as we come into Psalm 46, I'm letting you know straight up that I am not there. This is where I want to be. This is the kind of trust that I want to have. Let's read verse 1 real quickly, and then we'll jump into this. Psalm 46, verse number 1, it says... God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And as we look at this, this is, I love how some, often in the Psalms, they start off that first verse and just hit you with truth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I don't know, uh, the word very present there just means that he's readily available. I don't know if you've ever gone shopping and you're like trying, like before you actually want to make a purchase, people are all, all over the place trying to talk to you. Uh, Can I help you with that? Can I help you? Can I help you? No, I'm good. I'm just looking. No, can I help you? Can I get that offer? Can I do this for you? But then as soon as you want to give them the money, you can't find a person in the whole store. It's like, I just want to give you this money. Okay, I'm sorry. When I finish this line of 50 people, I'll get right to you. The word very present just means he's a God who's easily found in trouble. And when we start looking at this, as we start walking through this chapter, all the time, life does not feel like that, okay? Life, life doesn't always feel like God's right there, easy to be found. I don't know if you've ever had like moments in life where it feels like, where do you go from this moment? Like, whether it's a tragedy, a health thing or whatever, like you hit a moment, maybe you get news and like, you're like, from this moment, I can even see past what the next steps would be, what the next step to take is. And when we start thinking about God, Psalm forty-six just starts out and says, "Hey, I'm just letting you know, God is easily found in the midst of the fog of trouble. He's easily found, but that's not always the way it feels." And I think I've told this story from the pulpit before. But when I was growing up, probably one of the um, the moment, the key moments that jump out of my head the first time where I had to say on my own, by myself, I had to like reach out and reach out to God on my own was when I first went off to college. And I, I think I've told this before, but. Um, my great-grandma, who had kind of, my mom had stayed in her house growing up. My, my whole family kind of lived in, and I think I've told you this before, we called her Big Granny. So we, they, they stayed in Big Granny's house. And so as, when I, like two days before I was to go to college, Big Granny had a stroke. And we got a call in the morning, like we were supposed to leave for Florida, from North Carolina, drive to Florida. And as uh, we got the call, my mom was beside herself, because um, pretty much McGranny had kind of raised her. And so when we got the phone call, she ran to the hospital, our pastor met her at the hospital, and they were talking, and they were walking through things, and it did not look good. It was one of those things that she may either die like right before we leave or right after we got there. But most likely, they're going to take me to Florida, it was not going to be in this, in this, it's going to be somewhere in this window. And I remember, like, getting in the car, driving from that uh, 17 hours, I oh don't know, 15 hours it is from Morehead City, North Carolina to Pensacola, Florida. And I remember it was kind of like one of those moods that you want to have fun and you want to joke, but it's really, it's a heavy time. And as I remember, like, my mom and dad helping me get the stuff, and as soon as we get all my stuff into the room, we get the phone call that my grand grandma has passed away, and so pretty much the couple of days that my family was going to stay with me, kind of like get me off into college, turn into them turning around and driving off. And I remember I have a brother who's ten years younger than me, and uh, me and him uh, are pretty close, and we did everything together back in the day. And so he was eight, and I'm 18, and I just still remember as that uh, white rental car, white Impala, drives away, and my little brother was in the back window, and he's waving. And it's like, it's not even, it's like not even that I'm losing my family, but now I know they're going back to hard things. And I remember every conversation that I had with my mom before then, I mean, after then, my mom would break down to tears. And this is the first time. I'm not at home anymore. Like, it's like before. It's like, just go sit with Mom or do something. it's like, I'm not at home anymore. And now I'm on my own, and I really don't know too many people at this college. And it's a big place, and so I'm overwhelmed. And I remember, like, seeing that they had a prayer room, and I remember going to prayer room and praying all the time. And what this verse says, I know it to be true, okay? I know it to be true, but it did not feel like it in the moment. It did not feel like God was easy to find in the midst of the struggles. But I remember after the funeral, I called my mom. Uh, I was a little better at calling her than I am now, so I'm working on that. But I called my mom, and I talked to her for a little bit, and I said, "Uh, Mom, how are you doing? And then she, like, stopped. She breathed, and she was like, Aaron, I'm doing so good. Like, I have never experienced God's grace like this before. And in that moment, like, in the times before, it did not feel like God was easy to be found. But through the whole situation, as we would know, once again, we know on paper, we know, according to the word of God, that he was there, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, God's been here walking with us through this the whole entire time. And when we go to Psalm chapter 46, what we're going to do is just walk through this chapter. Don't have, like, a gazillion points, don't have a, like, a great outline or anything like that, but I just want to walk through this chapter. And as we walk through this chapter, this is where I'm telling you where I want to be, this trust in God. And I don't know about you, like I said, you may be, right now, going through something, and it is like, Lord, I need to find you right now in this time of trouble. It may be that you're not. And what I think what verse 10 and verse 11 help us see is that when we're not going through those struggles, making sure God is close when we're not going through those struggles is key to being able to walk through the struggles when we do hit them. So when we come to Psalm 46, let's go through. Well, before we do, can we pray real quick? Because I need God's help. So if we'll stop, we'll pray, and then we'll just walk through this chapter, if you don't mind. 10 or 11 verses. Don't worry, I don't plan on holding you too, too long. But that's what every pastor says, and then 1 o'clock later, we're still going. But I don't plan on that. So let's pray real quick, and we'll walk through this passage. Dearly Father, Lord, we need your help. Lord, as we walk through this chapter, Lord, this is your word. And there's no one who's better at illuminating it than you. Lord, and so God, would you open our hearts. So, Lord, as your word falls on it, God, it, it would fall on good ground. And, God, we ask you, I pray that you guide my words. Lord, I pray that I would not be overly see- silly. Lord, I pray that I would not be overly serious. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we walk through this passage, you'd be glorified above all else. Lord, we need your help today. because our pastor while he's away. Continue to give him a time of rest and relaxation. We'll give the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's go through it. Psalm 46. We know it to be true, right? God is our refuge and strength and very present, help in, very present help in trouble. Let's go. Verse number two. Now, this is where I'm telling you that I am not yet, but I want to be, okay? It says, therefore, will we not fear though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea? Okay. So the psalmist is saying that, hey, I know God's strength and refuge, so I will not fear, and he goes on, that though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. Now, this is where I long to be because I'm telling you, if the earth was being removed and mountains, I was just watching them crumble into the water, there's a slight bit of fear on my heart. Like, I'm working to get here. He goes on, verse number three, though the waters are of roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And Selah, like, stop, let's think through these things. So when we look at this, like, this is where the psalmist says we need to be, that... When the whole world is falling apart, I have no fear. Like I'm just telling you where I'm at. I think last time I had like a major like, injury from playing basketball or something like that, and you've probably watched me go through the halls on crutches. I remember that night that I twisted my ankle playing basketball, and the earth wasn't even being removed. It was just my ankle was sprained really bad, and it hurt. And I remember laying on the couch, and I'm like, Lord, why would you letting this happen to me? Lord, just take the leg off right now. Just take the leg off. It hurts so bad. And it's like, I'm not here yet. I want to be. But this is the kind of faith and trust that God is calling us to that says, hey, even when the earth is literally crumbling apart, God, I know your refuge. I know who you are. And I will not fear. He goes on in verse number, in verse number four, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacles of the most high. And so we go from this like scene of like everything crumbling. Um, not that you should watch a lot of movies, but you're picturing like this, like in the superhero movies where like the whole city's crumbling, people are running around screaming, you have this like this scene, and then we go to the next scene where it's like there's a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle. And we go to like, like, this peaceful scene in the middle of all these things going on. And it says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and right early. And so we go from this like, scene of like, everything going wrong to where God is like this peace, like a river that's going through, and God is in the middle of it. And we go to verse number 6, and he says, The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. God, to everyone who railed against him, like they come out in their rage. God speaks his very words because he's in control. And the Bible says the earth melts at his command. Like this is God, who God is. He goes on verse number seven. The Lord of hosts is with us. The general God, the God of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. So, Psalmist is setting in this picture right before we get to verse 10. We're in this world... Because where I want to be and where I'm not yet am is there is no fear. Like everything's falling apart because there is this river where God is in the middle of it. And God has given us this peace. And though everybody rises up against him, every heathen nation rises up against him, God speaks the words and the earth melts. He breaks the bow. He defends us all the way. And the psalmist is like singing a song. If you look at the top, um, at the heading of the song, uh, it says to the chief musician of the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. That would mean, if I'm understanding correctly from people who are smarter than me, the song of Alamoth would be, it was made for women to sing, um, sopranos to sing this song. I won't do that for you because I don't think it will edify anybody for me to sing this song. sing this psalm. But what it would mean is this is a song of deliverance. And so as this, they're singing this song, it's almost like we come to verse number 10, and as we're singing God's voice speaks. So it's like, we, we sing songs all the time in church, okay, that we're not all quite there yet, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, it's like everybody feels bad whenever you say, oh, how I love Jesus, because it's like every pastor's thing to jump on. You come to church and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and you don't act like it. And so, like, we start thinking, like, yeah, we're singing some, some, sometimes we sing songs that, you know, I want to be there. And this is the song, and you can picture these ladies singing the song, and as we come to the point in verse number 10 then God speaks. So it's like, hey, this is what I want to be. I want to be able to stand in the middle of the earth when everything is going wrong, when those moments where I can't see past all the struggles and the problems around. I want to be here, and God speaks, and he tells us, how do you live like this day in and day out? Verse number 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So just in case you thought I was going to go by every verse as fast as I did the other ones, you're going to get out at 11.15. We're going to stop for just a second right here. It says, be still and know that I am God. How do I know that God is with me when all the earth thinks, When I have decisions to make, and these decisions, these are big things. Whatever decision I choose to take, it's a big thing. Whether I'm trying to navigate through, I have a wayward child and this wayward child, I have, God, I do not see you right now in the midst of this. Man, I'm just trying to navigate life in general with my busy schedule. And God, often I do, cannot see past these things. How do we end up living with that trust in God day to day? Number one, from the verse, we be still. We calm down. The word be still just means to let go. See, in our culture today, this is like anti what we do. Like we, we kind of brag about how busy we are. We brag about how, much, how many things we've got going on. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, if I'm sure if I had to raise the hand, how many of you guys have had a crazy busy summer? We could all raise our hand and say like it's supposed to be like rest and relaxation, but it's like going 90 miles an hour all day every day for the whole summer. And then we come through, and God says, be still. Calm down. We go through the Ten Commandments, right? We know the Ten Commandments, I think. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any grave an image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then we come to, like, the one that we kind of throw it away. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. And we go through all of them. Like, if we were to say, like, the important Ten Commandments, we'd all say, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We have, like, these thoughts. But we kind of sometimes just shove, remember the Sabbath day to keep it separated We kind of push it to the side and like, ah, well, that was for them in their time. But you know the Sabbath day, what the Sabbath day was literally for? The Sabbath day was literally a day set aside by God for his people to be able to stop and rest and reflect on him. And see, in our culture today, we almost say like, we don't need that. We're going to push that to the side. And God says this is interesting because God says, in six days he created the earth and on the seventh he rested. So it would be almost like if we were having a conversation with God and we were sitting down with God and God was gonna we were telling God about how busy our schedule was. It's like God, you don't know what this week has been like. I'm telling you, run here, do that. Lord, you don't even know. Oh, okay. In six days, I created the, the earth. Everything. Six days. I rested on the seventh. Well, God see, this is totally different. Like, you don't understand my kids. Like can't even sleep. Okay, six days? Yeah. Stars? Did that. One day. Uh, Oceans? Yep, did that. Six days, I rested. No, no, God, you don't understand. My schedule, my work. And every time they would ever talk to the children of Israel, God would just say, I created the whole entire world in six days, and I gave you a time to rest. Sometimes we don't see God through the haze simply because as we're going through life, we are so busy that we cannot see God. We run and we go and we run and we go. And God said to the children of Israel, Hey, I command you, not because I'm trying to make rules for you to follow, I command you to take a day to stop and reflect on me. Not for recreation, and I'm not against recreation, not for just napping. I'm all for napping, hallelujah. But when we start looking at it, God says, I want you to stop and rest. And we come to the first part of verse 10, when God says, be still and know that I am God. He says, hey, stop, let go. I love this quote. I have this quote by um, Cherry Schmidt. He he wrote it in uh, his book, Live Lighter, Love Better. And I love this quote because this this sums it all up. I wrote it down. Well, actually, I copied and pasted it. But it says this. If you take your days into your own hands, you will enslave yourself. Sabbath, in principle, implies that six days God's way are better, more productive, and more blessed than seven days my way. When you rest, you trust. God says, I gave you seven days, and I want to spend one of them resting, restoring, and reverencing me. Accepting our limits and restoring on on purpose is our way of acknowledging it's not all about me. It's not all up to me. God, you've got this. You've got me. You can do a better job of running my life than I can. So for the next 24 hours, I choose to trust you by resting. Seriously, God has handled the universe without you and me for thousands of years. Do you dare think it's going to fall apart without us? To rest is to trust that God is handling things well without me. Now, I don't say all these things for us to start thinking that, like, whatever your day, you, you and the Lord determine your Sabbath day principles. But all I'm saying is that oftentimes— that trust that I want that says, though the whole earth be removed, though everything's going wrong, God, I still trust you. I will let it go. Fades away. When I take t- don't take time to let it go. Put it away. God, I want to do. It. And once again, because some of us are doers, right? So if I was thinking through the Red Sea, okay? Like, when the children of Israel were at the Red Sea, you remember the philistine I mean the Philistines, the Egyptians are coming behind them, and the Egyptians are coming, and they're standing at the waters, and God tells Moses, hey, be still, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There are some of us that are doers, right? So why has God said stand still? Half of us, and some of us will already have a boat built. It's like, M- Moses, I've got a plan. And we're, like, rolling around. And some of us are, like, laid back. It's like, Eeyore, like, oh woe is us, we're never going to make it. And so neither one of these extremes is what it is. And so to quantify this, here's here's the way I'm thinking through it as we walk through this. When I calm down, I'm going to take time to specifically love God, to learn from God, to lean on God. So I want to set time in my life where when things are going well and when they're not, that I intentionally take time to show God I love him. Can I ask you? I'm not saying we just said it. Like, me and my wife just uh, celebrated 15 years of marriage. And we were joking that, like, we used to think people were old when they were married 15. Now we're like, no, they're perfect when they're married 15. No, I'm scared. <laughs> but, but, when, but as we celebrate 15 years of marriage, like, we set aside, I set around side time and money to honor this date that we've been married 15 years or whatnot. When was the last time we did something specifically for God to let him know that we love him? And not just, I'm not talking about just pray a long anything. I'm saying whether it be, as the Bible says, God loves, and I'm not, this is not preaching on giving, okay? You need to give happily to the church, lots of it. No, all I'm trying to say is, like, you give. God loves a cheerful giver. I give my time, my effort. And see, this is what God says. God says, in the middle of all these negative things and all these things going around, God says, how do you do it? You be still. You let go. In the agrarian society and all the different, like, the shepherds and farmers and all those things back in the Bible times, it would be easy to say, hey, I got to get this harvest in. Forget about the Sabbath day. And God said, don't. I got it. Well, you don't understand, God. This is what's going on. Don't. I've got it. And by letting go, I show my trust to God. By saying, hey, I have lots of other things I could do right now. But right now, I just want to show God I love him. Maybe on my commute to work, I have a lot of other things I can listen to. I have a lot of other things I could do. But maybe I just turn on a CD and I just sing and praise my Lord. Because I just want to take some intentional time to love him. I need to take time to learn from it. Like some of us, some of us, once again, there's always two sides of everything. Some of us are to the point where we have disciplines down, the spiritual disciplines down to a minute. I mean, like there hasn't been in in the last 45 years you haven't missed your devotions and I'm not there yet just because I'm not 45 years old. No, but I'm like, you you wouldn't miss a spiritual discipline for the world. And there's some of us, me in that category, that it's like, it is discipline to be disciplined like, oh man, I got to make sure I set these times and I do these things. And when we start looking at all these things, as we come in, I need to set aside time to learn from God's word. We're memorizing um, scripture as teenagers for the the summer challenge. And we all, all of us as uh, sponsors have kind of spoke to the point, like, I don't know what youth pastor set up this long verse that we had to memorize, but... Whatever his name is, you probably need to fire him. But I came up with this long passage to memorize. And I remember, like, on the two days before, we're trying to memorize this scripture. And what is it? Brendan walked in and memorized it in, like, ten minutes right before it was supposed to be. He's like, okay, I can say it. And it's like, me, two days, three days, I'm, like, going through on my phone, like, going through my app. But you know what? It helped me to memorize scripture. Sometimes we leave scripture memory in Iwana. It's like, oh, this is what the Awana kids do. They memorize scripture. We're adults. We just pull out our phone anytime and read it. When we start taking time to love God, to learn from God, when was the last time you studied something in the Bible just for fun? Just because you wanted to know what God's word said about it. See, these are the things that help me see God in the middle of all the fog and circumstances when I am overwhelmed it feels like the earth is shaking and the mountains are moving forward into the water by me spending time right then with God during the quiet moments where I'm still and I let go and say, yeah, God, there's a whole lot of other things I could be doing. But I choose to love you. I choose to learn from you. I choose to lean on you right now. These are going to help me. So he says, be still. Let it go. And he says, and know that I am God. This is the thing. Hasn't the devil been working on this since the time began about like challenging God's authority and that God is not God? This time began Adam and Eve, from the very first. Are you, are you sure that's what God said? I mean, I'm just letting you know that God just knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. I don't know. I'm just saying he's holding out on you. And God says this, He says, be still, calm down. And then he says, have confidence in me. Know that I am God. This is where I want to be. Through every situation. Do you know when you go through Hebrews 11, the faith hall of fame, like all these superhero Christians, you know that all of them simply just had confidence in who God was by faith, Abel. Abel, what'd you do, man? I sacrificed the sacrifice God told me to. Like, come on, man. You didn't, like, raise the dead, doing we? Nope. God said this is the sacrifice he wanted, and I figured he's God, so I did what he said. Oh, man, by faith, Noah. Noah, what'd you do? Built an ark. Yeah, that was awesome, wasn't it? Oh, well, actually, I was just doing what God told me to do. He specifically gave me the, <laughs> everything I needed to do. Use this kind of wood, go here and do this, and that's what I did. Then God said, it's time to get in. And we got in. And it started raining. I don't know if you call me a superhero for that, but I praise the Lord I got in. Because what happened after that? The mountains were removed. And the waters did rise up. And I was glad I was in that art. By faith, Moses' mother saw that he was a proper child and was not afraid of the king's command. Hey, Jochebed, what, what, tell us in this interview, what did you do to have a son like Moses? Well... He was born, and they said, kill your son. And I said, no, I'm not going to kill my son. I tried to hide him. Then after that, I kind of launched him out into the river. Mom of the year award there. (laughs) There you go. And God took care of the rest. See, as we walk through the Bible, the people who did something for God were simply people who had confidence that God is exactly who he says he is. And what he said he would do, he would do. And we start living life like that. See, because a lot of times I put myself here. I struggle with sin. And maybe you'd be in the same boat. I struggle with sin when I think that, well, God, I know you said this. But I really believe this is true. And I'm going to go this way. And I'm telling you, every time I find out I was going the wrong way. And God says, this is how you do it. You want to see me? You want to know that I'm very present help? That when you're in trouble, you look around and I am there. You be still, you let go of all the things that you think you're trying to hold and all the things that you're trying to juggle. And you think, if I'm not here, who's going to do this? God says, I've got it. I've had it before you were here. I'll have it way after you're done. And he says, and know that I am God. Can I ask you, (laughs) let's just be honest have we had moments where the decision that God made for us was not the decision we wanted and we were pretty quick to let the Lord know about it? This, this isn't the way I wanted it. This isn't the way I wanted my kids to be. When I, when I envisioned having a family, this wasn't the picture that I was looking at. Man, God, when you gave me this job, like, I thought it was gonna be okay, but <laughs> this is not what I was picturing. God, when I came to Trinity Baptist Church, <laughs> this is not what I was picturing. And when we start looking at the decisions that God makes for us, the people in the Bible who we would call heroes were simply people that just said, You're God. And what you say and what you do, that's what I'm going to do. Job, naked would I come out of my mother's womb, naked I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job said not to charge God foolishly. We come through, he says, hey, be still, calm down, let it go. And he says, be confident of this, I am God. And he goes on, I think this is the one in our culture today would be the, I guess the biggest one for us. And he says this, I will be exalted above I mean, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. We start thinking about the gospel story, okay? We start thinking about the gospel story. Every spot of the gospel story would seem like God is losing. Like, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden that we are talking about just a second ago. We start in the Garden of Eden. God has created this wonderful earth, beautiful situation, amazing. And as he created all these things, he puts two human beings in the middle of it. And we would say, there's where he went wrong. And in this whole gospel story, like, God, you've made everything perfect, everything. So you're going to put Adam and Eve here? And before we make fun of Adam and Eve, if he had put me and whoever, me and my wife there, or my wife probably, I'd probably eat the fruit first because I have this thing about eating. But either way, like, we probably would have made the same situation either way. But as God does it, it's like, Wow. This is a beautiful situation. Adam and Eve walk and talk with God. And then Satan comes and Eve says, Well, this fruit is way better than anything around here, it looks like. Every other tree in the garden. Adam, you should have some of this. I didn't die, it's really good. And then when God comes, this is one of those moments in history where it's like, Where do we go from here? They hear God's voice walking in the garden. They hide themselves. Man, what in the world? We shouldn't have ate the fruit. God's coming. And it would seem like in this gospel story that once again, messed up. God, if you had to put these two people here, this world would have been a perfect place. But then Genesis 315, God promises that one day he's going to send his son. And as we walk forward in the gospel story, we find that Jesus, I mean, God picking Abraham. Abraham has lots of problems. I know he's a, a patriarch but of Israel. But God says, I'm going to make of this nation. I have this nation planned that I want to work through. And he picks broken people. People who lie, cheat. God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And the Bible says in Genesis that Abraham falls on his face and laughs. Well, this is the kind of people God's working with. <laughs> And it would seem like, man, this story is already going nowhere. And he goes through, and God takes this nation over and over again, delivers them out of bondage. Lord, we're sorry. Come help us. And God, in his mercy and grace, grabs them up and brings them out. Then it happens again and happens again and happens again, all through the Old Testament. And so then we come to this part in the New Testament, and all of a sudden we have this Christmas story, right, that the baby has come. Simeon stands up and he says, now behold is the salvation. Let thy servant die in peace because Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. This is the best part of the story until we fast forward to Calvary and we find out that baby is laying on a cross because he's been beaten with, you can't even tell he's a man and nailed to it and dropped down into a hole and he hangs there naked on the cross And everybody that sits around, the Bible says, they look in disgust on Christ. This story was going so well. I know it had some problems at the end. I mean, at the beginning, I know that Israel hasn't been all like the glorious people that we thought they would be. And we come to the cross, and it looks like it's over. But then three days later, we come back. Because Jesus, after three days brings the clothes off the grave clothes off, pulls them up, and he walks out of the grave, and it's like 5,000 people see him. All of a sudden, the early church starts. This is the best part of the story. This is getting good. But then once again, people get involved. And as people get involved, 3,000 people are getting saved, all these things, but then persecution comes, and all these things, and we get to where we are today. And today... We sit in our homes, we turn on the television, watch the news. <laughs> Probably should stop that. But we watch the news and we say, "Ah, oh, I can't imagine what's going to happen next. And we get back to that fog, to where, what do we see from here? Uh, our kids, how are they ever going to live the next couple years? Lord, come back. And I want the Lord to come back. But everybody who thought the Lord was coming back in their generation so far has been wrong. <laughs> Like, as we start looking at, we're like, where do we come from here? And we're like, Wow, Lord, you don't know my family situation. God, you don't know my work situation, Lord, you don't know this part of my life. Lord, I don't understand how. And this is what God says in Psalm 46. I will be exalted above the heathen. I will be exalted above all the earth. And we come to Philippians chapter two, verse number five. When God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow things in heaven of things in earth, and that everything under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And see, the end of the story is, God is exalted above the heathen. And I have to remember, not only just to calm down and let things go, not to just say, you know what? He is God, and I'm confident in it. But he is in control of not only this earth, but of every situation I have. Am, I find myself in. It's not that situation I would have written out in my story, but hey, I'm telling you, the Isaiah six. God sitting, sitting high on the throne, high and lifted up, and the angels flying around his his throne, saying, "Holy, holy, holy." God has never once been out of control. Did not know what's going on. Now, here's the thing: because we're Americans and our Western civilization we become pretty individualistic. Like, we love things all about us. We think that everything sometimes that doesn't go our way is God out of control somehow. It's like, God, you don't understand. And the thing is, this story that God's been writing is way bigger than me. His glory, he's more concerned with his glory than he is my happiness. He's more concerned about his glory than he is my comfort. And as God is writing this story, he just says, hey, I'm just letting you know, let go, calm down, slow it down. And just be confident that I am God and that I am in control. I will be exalted. And we come to this conclusion, verse number 11. And we say, just like the psalmist, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So here's the thing. Whether we go through a time where right now I can't see beyond what's going on. It's cloudy. God, you said you are ready to help. You're right here. I do feel like the person at Best Buy is like, I just want to buy something. Can somebody just please just like click me, beep, beep, and let me out of the store? And we like, God, I need your help, but I can't, I can't see you. And God says, hey, let go. All the things that you're trying to build and do and make happen, lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge me and I'll direct your path. Be confident. I am God. There is none else, as Deuteronomy says. And then as we go, know that he's in control. And see, this is the way that we live day. After day, after day. Not just these moments where we come together as a body corporately. Which is, I honestly believe, part of being still. Part of being still, I believe, is coming to the point where the corporate gathering around God's word and learning and loving and leaning on God. I believe it is key, pivotal to your Christian life. But when we have these moments where we do it together and where together we sing, together we love God. Those are amazing. They're encouraging. But every day, I have to make the decision to say, God, I have a lot going on. I need you to take it and be willing to leave it there. I need to take time to love, learn, and lean on God. Every day. Not just when I'm here in this sanctuary, as Psalm 63 would say. When we begin to do that, we begin to see that God has been here The whole time, I've just been blind to it. So here's what we do from here. Two things. Number one, if you are here today and you don't know God, you don't know God personally. You've heard of him with your ears, but you don't know him. Today would be the day that, number one, I ask you to know that God is in control, that You need to let go of whatever it is that keeps you from trusting Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you think, you know what, I have a life ahead of me. I have all these things that I'm trying to work through. I don't have time to be, I mean, to get saved. I was talking to um, a guy, we were in New York, and uh, I was telling, uh, I think it was a youth group or whatever. uh, No, I was telling junior campers that he was sitting by our mat when we were about to get started and we put our mat down, and there's this guy and his girlfriend, the guy, he has more tattoos. He looks like a coloring book, he really did. Like, He's like tattoos all over the place, shirt off. He, was, he intimidated me, let's just put it that way. And I remember teaching, and I'm trying to teach the kids, but in the back of my mind, that guy is sitting there and I'm just waiting for him to be like, oh, no, this is stupid. But he was with me the whole time. I mean, like, while I was teaching the kids, like, I saw him in the back and he was smiling, I'm like, oh, maybe he is listening. And I asked him at the end, I was like, hey man, What would you think? And he was like, like, no, I really enjoyed that. That was awesome. And I was like, have you ever asked Christ to save you? I was like, if you were to stand before God right now, me and you, and God were to ask the question, why in the world should I let you into my heaven, do you have an answer for that? And he said, because I'm good. I was like, okay, because good. But I was like, but we mentioned earlier about sin, and you kind of nod your head when I was teaching. He's like, yeah, I have done some things. I was like, well, I guess I have to repent. And he used the word I didn't, so I was like, well, do you want to repent today? And he said, nah, I'm too young for that. I'm too young for that. And can I say today? Let go. Be still. Stop trying to fight your own way, trying to figure out how eternity works, and let go. Be confident that God is God. He's who he said he was. And all through this story, here's the thing. Because at the end of the story, for us that are saved, it is a beautiful story. From creation all the way till Christ rules and reigns. It's an amazing story. But for you, if you don't need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is not an amazing story because Christ will be exalted above the heathen. And one day, whether you do it today in the service or you, do, you choose to do it later, one day you will bow before Jesus Christ and worship him as Lord. You have no choice about that. You just have the choice that you do it now and have an opportunity to spend eternity in God with heaven, or you do it later And the Bible, talks about where death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ today, know this. He's not far off He's ready You can find him here today And we'd love to help you If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ Is your savior Can I just encourage you What we talked about today We're not breaking any new ground It wasn't like Einstein theory of some kind of theology That I taught, it was basic stuff, okay But it does Make us stop and think Lord, what am I holding on to right now that I think I have to hold it on my own. I've got it, and you're just saying, Be still. Let it go. God, we're in the areas in my life where I'm not confident you're God, because in my mind, I really think that I could do this a lot better than your way. And what area am I saying, Hey, God, I'm overwhelmed right now? Like, there's all these things happening to me, and I didn't know, I don't know if you're in control or what. And God's. Throne still sits there; he's still sitting on it. The angels are still flying around it, saying "Holy, holy, holy, holy!" And God has not been shaken by it. God did not have to say, "Hey, bring me updates on what's going on with so and so." He's like, "I'm in control, and I will be exalted." So, whatever that looks like for you, let it go today. So, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, Pastor Toman, I, have a, I asked him to sing a song, uh, not him to sing a song, but us to sing a song together. So in just a second, we're going to stand up and sing in just a second. Now, this is it. If you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior today, I'm going to say that I would love for you to do this. I have not told Mr. Rob Harmon this, but I don't think he'd mind. Brother Rob Harmon is sitting back there in the back. He's an usher. He has the smooth-looking beard. He's the man. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior if you would stand when we start singing and you walk to the back, we'll have someone show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Because it's the most important decision you'll make. We'll have the altar open. I know sometimes like we're an uh, open altar and sometimes we don't. But if you want to come down to the altar and pray, then praise the Lord. Come down to the altar and pray. If you want to pray in your seat, pray. But let's make sure that before we leave this corporate body at Psalm 63 and we're seeing God's power and glory in our midst together, that we take... Uh, all these things into consideration. So I forgot the number, Pastor. 533, 533. I'll take my mic off and we'll sing this together. Let's stand, let's stand. And we'll sing it together and we'll be dismissed.